Welcome to Canucks After Dark. Here are your hosts, Parker Hallowell and Clay Emo. Booyah! Good evening, Vancouver, and welcome back to Canucks After Dark, episode two here on Monday, April 19th. As always, we're coming to you live here on YouTube and on demand on your favorite podcast platform. Yes, that now includes Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, and all the rest. So go subscribe and give us five stars over on Apple Podcasts. Uh, also, leave a like here on YouTube. My name is Parker Hallowell. You know me as Parker's Pucks. And before we get into it, I want to give a big shout out to all of you guys who watched and listened to episode one last week. I think I speak for both of us when I say the reception was way better than either of us expected, uh, especially with only like three days of us hyping it up beforehand. Uh, so now, without further ado, let me introduce my co-host. At 46 years old, he is literally double my age. He's a ping pong master. If being a master is getting crushed by your sons on a daily basis, you've recognized him at your local SO, the most positive man in Vancouver, Canuck Clay Emo. <laughs> I'm going to run out of content. <laughs> Everyone, oh, I am Clay Emo. I'm at Connect Clay, both on YouTube and on Twitter. And yes, as Parker mentioned, we were thrilled with the reception, with the support, the affirmation. We're excited. We are two common, good-looking Canucks fans that want to bring our fandom to you. And Parker, can I start off? You can tell I'm in a pretty good mood. Can I start off really quickly with five reasons why I'm in a good mood? Is that okay? Absolutely. Okay, number one. I'm with you, brother, and it's episode number two. So that's number one. Number two, the Canucks won last night. Awesome. Number three, the Flames and Habs lost today, keeping our very slim playoff chances alive. <laughs> number four, I finished a massive paper for my master's on the weekend. And number five, I was blessed to get the AstraZeneca vaccine today. My arm feels fine, but uh, my head's a little loopy, even more loopier than usual. So, hmm. Parker, you're going to have to carry me like Braden Holtby carried the Canucks last night. Uh, did you get a sticker? No sticker. Oh. I didn't even get a card or a registration card. Oh, so really? I had to make sure that it was legit. Yeah. <laughs> Just some random shot that they gave you. <laughs> uh, that's great. Uh, first off, uh, yeah, Clay's mic wasn't working for like two seconds. I'm sorry. I fixed that. Uh, let's no go over some of the topics of the show for today. And before we do that, of course, we do want to say this is going to be, as always, live interactive show. If you want to be involved, you can leave questions, comments right here in the YouTube chat. Uh, also, all of our content is now linked in one nice link down below in a link tree. You can find links to all of the podcast versions of the show, my socials, Clay's socials, all that good stuff. Uh, but the topics for tonight, of course, we're going to talk about that big Big gutsy win against the Toronto Maple Leafs last night. Just a valiant effort, and that's the title of this video, a valiant victory. And I used that word in my video a lot last night. Uh, we'll also talk a little bit about the whole JT Miller thing from last week. We didn't get to cover that because that didn't happen until Wednesday. Uh, we'll talk about the Utica Devils now, uh, the Utica Comets probably being moved, um, and then also a couple of other quick things. And we're going to leave a little bit more time on this one. Of course, last week we had a lot to get into being the trade deadline, but we're going to leave about 15 minutes or so at the end or try to for some of your topics. Uh, you guys had some good suggestions last week as well, and those were great. Well, what's happened in the past week? Yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a busy market we're in here. So, let's lead it off um, with last night's win. Canucks 3, Leafs 2, in overtime on Sunday night, an impromptu hockey night in Canada. Clay, let's get your thoughts on that victory. 
Well, I love the fact that you use the word valiant. I was coming up with all these adjectives, but valiant wasn't one of them. I use courageous and resilience and inspiring, but I did not use valiant. So I'm going to have to add that to my dictionary thesaurus, <laughs> whichever one you're, you're supposed to use. Uh, Triple H show, Holtby, Horvat, Hoglander, and throw in a Myers if you want to. You know, it's kind of got a bad rap this season, but 30 minutes, especially after Edler went down. Um, a couple of funny things. I noticed that Chatfield is not used to playing with Hughes or probably more appropriately, Hughes is not used to playing for Chatfield. So they almost ran into each other a couple of times in front of the net. I know that uh, Hughes would try and pass the Chatfield line, a D to D across the line and it was too hot for Chatfield to, to handle. But overall, yeah, you look at Horvat's performance, Holtby, of course, with the, the crazy yeah. save, Hoaglander. And the team did what they had to do to pull to victory. And yeah, Bacalis and those guys, Grayback, they might have only got five, six, eight minutes of ice time, but they played their role. They did their part. And I was touched by the way Horvat and and Travis Green talked after the game. And you could almost hear their 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 voices cracking with emotion. Mm-hmm. That win meant so much, much more than one game in a in a faint playoff race. But for our franchise overall, am I overstating it or do you think that's fair? I think that is fair. And it's it's just battle level, right? Like it's the fact that they came out and against all odds and, you know, Leafs fans will say, oh, we saw it coming. It's the Maple Leafs, right? This is what we do. Uh, But like it's one of those things where everything was stacked against them, right? Your first game back after not playing for 25 days, uh, your starting goalie is out. Uh, Your second best defenseman is out. Maybe your first best defenseman this year, potentially. Uh, You're missing just so many key pieces, and you have guys like your third pairing is Breezebois and Chatfield. You have guys like Grayevac, who's, you know, probably not an NHL player, um, playing on your fourth line. Um, And to go out there, to go down four minutes in to the best team in Canada, to go down two nothing in the second period uh, after that Austin Matthews goal, which was a fantastic goal, and then to just battle back, led by the captain uh, and led by the goaltender who has shown this year that he's not who he used to be, but comes out last night and showed flashes of why the Canucks signed him this offseason because he has that in him. Thirty-seven saves on thirty-nine shots. Um, you know, you you can't really understate that. He was good, and he was, uh, you know, obviously Maple Leafs are going to argue that technically they should have won that game in regulation, but a very veteran move to just put his body up against the post, scooch the puck out. Uh, I don't know where it was, underneath him, beside him, inside him. It doesn't yeah. matter. You couldn't see it on the camera. Yeah, I had I had some comments on my video from Leafs fans that came in and were like, the refs cheated. The, the, <laughs> like You could clearly see it go in, and I'm like, and I, I even tweeted last night. I'm like, yeah, that there's like I'm 99 sure that puck was in, but you never see it go in, so you yeah. can't you can't call it a goal. Uh, it's yep. it's pretty much that simple. Did you watch um, either Dangle or Hot take any of their rants last night? I did not. Um, I saw that uh, I saw Dangles, but I didn't click on it because I just wasn't I wasn't I wasn't in the mood for it at the time. Well, I, guess. I was in the mood today because again I'm in a good mood and I'm a little bit foggy, so I watched it. And it was um, E-Bug-esque. Like, you remember how crazy he went when they lost to David Ayers? Yeah. The, the... It had kind of uh, that vibe to it. Basically, he kept going back to the fact that the only team that would lose to another team that's coming off a 25-day COVID break and hasn't won in a month would be the Toronto Maple Leafs. It was pretty entertaining. Now, Dangle's not everyone's cup of tea. I like him mm. a lot. I think he's he's kind of, uh, you know, blazed the trail for a lot of YouTubers. Um, a lot of people try to emulate his style probably not so well, but at least he's made it not so not cool to do this kind of thing. Yeah. And, um, 
it's one of those things where like I get, I get his sort of reaction, but like it wasn't really like that that David Ayer's game. Like Toronto was the better team last night. Like they yeah. they just were. And I mean, if you look at the expected goals metric, they had almost six expected goals. <laughs> like Holpe, like that's not something that happens very often. Uh, Holpe was just that good. And yeah, you could say that the Leafs probably scored with about 19 seconds left. Um, but Holby with a veteran play, scooches it out of the net if it was in the net. Um, and yeah, you did mention Tyler Myers and his 30 minutes of ice time. Yep. To come off of COVID, to come off of 25 days of not playing, probably two, maybe three skates on the ice beforehand, to play 30 minutes and eight seconds with eight minutes of shorthanded time is crazy. And he had basically that three minutes straight, that when Edler had that three minutes straight where he took the kneeing, uh, the kneeing major, Myers was out for the exact same amount of time. Like that's, there was a ton of ice time for him. He made the great smart pass to retain possession and play it to Horvat in overtime. Yeah. And, uh, Horvat, Horvat did it. It was excellent. Yeah. And before we talk about Horvat, it's funny you mentioned Myers because I remember right before that play, and I'm not sure if you brought it up. It came up in my live stream last night when Toronto iced the pot. Yes. I actually yelled, uh, why is Hopi playing? And it was my son, Sean, that says, no, you do not take that face off. You keep possession. And sure enough, Myers tries to gain the zone, comes back, and that little quick uh, loop, and then Horvat's off to the races. And you, you, we know that Horvat loves to shoot, come yeah. down that left side, and he scored two goals from there last night. Yeah, I was. I had the exact same thought when it did get played in. Um, yeah. And I was like, and Holby came out to play, and I'm like, okay, that's kind of odd. And then I saw, I think someone on the Maple Leafs sort of came in and pressured a little bit, but then they peeled yeah. right off for a change. And I was worried. I'm like, I'm like, please don't give this puck up. <laughs> like, don't don't make a mistake playing it, because that's always my worst fear is, like, the team battles this hard, and there's just, like, a, a mistake made. Because um, by... JT Miller wasn't there to give the puck. I'm just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the Maple Leafs were, you know, probably the better team. And I think that goes without saying, you know, outshot 39 to 24. I think the goals for was in the 70 percentile. Um, but the scoreboard's all that matters. And, uh, I mean, I don't know how much we want to get into the standings. If that's, if it's a little premature, maybe to start thinking about that, but you did mention Montreal and Calgary, both losing, uh, Canucks are 10 points back in Montreal with five games in hand. They just have to win out. It's that simple. And you know who four (laughs) of those five games are against Parker, the Ottawa senators. You got it. So we got one more Toronto four Ottawa. And then is it one or two Toronto again? Like we're only playing against, I think two. Yeah. But I'm not hundred percent sure. We're only playing against Ontario for the rest of the April is, is basically my point. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We got two auto or four Ottawa's and then two Toronto's and then basically Alberta. Say, right. Even if we don't win five out of five, let's say we win three out of five and maybe get a loser point in one of them. That's seven out of ten points. I- equivalently, we could only be three points behind Montreal. And that's right. a realistic out- outcome, actually. It's fairly realistic. Again, my concern is are we basing a lot off the fact that they that they sort of snuck out a win last night when yes, they we are. when Absolutely. they weren't the better team, right? Uh, and again, you don't expect them to be the better team after that. Um, and it is nice that the way that the schedule did sort of shake out for the Canucks that they don't have a back to back until middle of next week, right? Basically, five games with uh, with separation between them. All of the Ottawa games, there's a break between every game. There's a day off, mm. so you know a potential for. You know, as long as guys aren't playing, you know, 25, 30 minutes a night. And with this Edler suspension, I mean, if Schmidt comes back, he'll get a lot of ice time. Myers will have a lot of ice time. Uh, Hughes will have a lot of ice time. So uh, we'll see how fatigue is a factor. And we'll see if Demko comes back. Um, I no doubt in my mind that Holpe gets to start tomorrow. 
because um, yep. they're, they're not going to not put him in after after that great performance. Um, but we'll see if, if Demko's available to back up. I haven't heard anything, uh, although I don't know if the Canucks even practiced today. So I guess... Yeah. Uh, yeah, so there's a question for much. you. If we agree that among the the standouts, the stalwarts last night, stalwarts were Horvat, Hoaglander, Holtby, and we mentioned Myers, and we agree on that. Is there anyone that you were kind of disappointed in, or maybe that's a bit of a strong word, but doesn't have a strong game? I have one, but I'm going to see if you pick the same guy. Um, the one thing I was a little disappointed in, I wanted to see... I'm going to say Travis Green. <laughs> I wanted to see more... I mean, I get like his his job is he wants to win, and the fact mm-hmm. that they went in uh, and they they went in to win. I expected to see sort of Willie D era, like let's roll four lines, let's get through these games. You know, top top guys can play eighteen minutes a night. Um, I mean, how much ice time did Travis Boyd get? That's what I was interested. In. I wanted my what I was hoping for is I want I want Travis Boyd and I want Jimmy VC to score some goals tonight. Jimmy VC played uh, uh, VC played nearly twenty two minutes. Last night, because wow. he was playing on that on that unit with uh, uh, on that top pair with uh, with Miller and Boyd at eight twenty four or something, right? Right, eight thirty seven. Yeah, okay. eight and a half minutes. So, uh, and I mean, you have guys like Gravak playing less than five minutes. So, yeah. Travis Green didn't want to have to play those guys that probably aren't really NHL regulars. Um, yeah. But I didn't. I don't know. I didn't see really anyone stand out uh, too negatively. Um, yep. I thought that third D pairing was a uh, was fine. The Breezeball Chatfield pairing, especially that play that Chatfield made at the end. I was thinking, I was like, okay, Breezeball and Chatfield are playing, and then you know they're not going to play anymore though once the rest of the guys are back, right? Um, and I was kind of surprised Sautner wasn't in either. Um, yes. and I, um, but the play Chatfield made. I mean, Chatfield played 15 minutes last night, and uh, yeah. even a bit of shorthanded time. But that that pass he made to Hoaglander, you're walking in on Jack Campbell. All alone, basically down that left, uh, basically in the left face-off circle. Um, most players are going to shoot that, but he mm-hmm. had the wherewithal to look up, see that Hoaglander was there, and and it worked out. That's how they tied the game. But who was You're your, right. who stood out for you uh, in a negative light? Yeah, well, and just before I give you my answer, it's interesting because once Edler was out, and I know we're going to talk about that. Then you go to Hughes Hamannick. Then, or sorry, you're going to Hughes Chatfield, and then it was Hamannick and Myers, and then kind of Breezewell was the odd man out, which makes sense. No, you um, same first name, different last name. I thought Travis Boyd would have had a, a, a more of an impact. He only played eight and a half minutes, and yeah, maybe it would have been a nice feel-good story if both VC and Boyd did some damage against their mm-hmm. own team. But I, I found VC very noticeable, and Boyd was very unnoticeable. It could have been obviously because of the skill discrepancy of who they were playing with. But I, I just want to see a bit more from Boyd, but I get it. It's th- That was his first game, right? Yeah, and I, that's also another reason I was kind of surprised we didn't see more of Travis Boyd because he wasn't someone, like he was on the COVID list, but for quarantine because he hadn't right. been around the team, right? He didn't have it. So I thought that he might get leaned on a little bit, get a little bit mm. more ice time, uh, but that wasn't the case. Yeah, but overall, uh, you know, I'm not going to pick the team apart. It was no. a very, yeah, it was a great win. Against really all won. odds, yeah. You got it. Now, the one sort of looming thing that came from that game last night, of course, the Alex Edler uh, knee on Zach Hyman. Uh, you put a, For anyone who, I mean, obviously most of you saw it, but basically end of a three and a half minute shift uh, after a penalty kill, uh, Edler and Myers hemmed in their own zone. Uh, and what, I, what my sort of thought process was, was Edler saw Hyman coming into the zone with the puck and he thought, you know what, I'm going to step up, I'm going to try to hit him. And if I miss, then I'm already by the bench. 
right? And it right. makes more sense to change, and then someone else can get on, right? So it's a risky play, but at the end of the day, I'm going to get off the ice, and uh, we'll get at least half of the deep pair changed and not be as much of a liability out here. Uh, and yeah, it's a... And then so Hyman takes a quick step to the inside. Uh, Edler lets that leg hang. Uh, he doesn't do... He doesn't really make... An, he doesn't make an effort to bring it back in like what you're supposed to do. Um, and... You know, knee-on-knee -knee contact is very dangerous. Uh, I've had it before. It's not fun. Um, uh, you put out a poll today, too, uh, that said, and you asked people if the two games that he got was either fair, too harsh, or too lenient. And I think most people agreed with uh, both of us that it was pretty fair. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, yeah, it was at least 60%. So let's break this down a little bit. When we, when we, you explained the play very well, and what the NHL Department of Player Safety said is they said that, Edler should have picked one or the other. He should have gone around Hyman or he should have hit him square yep. and not do what Edler did. Was He kind of tried to go around him, but then he stuck his right leg out. It's interesting that the Department of Player Safety also, they acknowledged that he was at the end of a three-minute shift. They didn't say yep. because of COVID, but they acknowledged that he was at the end of a very long shift, that he was skating low, low base, probably tired, heading towards the bench. Now, the other thing I want to quickly bring up, Parker, and then we can talk about kind of the reaction that we got to our videos is um, Edler, and I actually, I talked about this before in one of my other videos, he's been suspended three times before, twice in the NHL, once in, in international hockey, but all within a span of seven months. March 2013, he runs Mike Smith behind the net. May 2013, he takes out Eric Stahl, Sweden versus Canada. And then October 2013, he, uh, he hits Thomas Hurdle in the head of the San Jose Sharks. So three yep. incidents in seven months in 2013. Eight years ago, so... That's why some people say, oh, he's not a dirty player. He's played 910 games, and he's only had a couple majors and a couple suspensions. And that was eight years ago. Others were saying, maybe because they only remember that part, or they're Eric Stahl fans or whatever, they're yeah. saying, no, Edler's a dirty player. All to say, um, the, the two games, they don't cite a lot of uh, previous, you know, what do you call it, previous record or previous uh, Being a repeat offender. Yeah, yeah, repeat offender. That's what I was looking at. I don't know what I was thinking. Um, so overall, that's why... I know this doesn't make for great uh, talk, but we both agreed. We were kind of joking about yeah. it because we're, we're similar that we thought that the suspension was fair. I, I would have been fine with one game. Actually, that's kind of what I predicted last night, to be honest, but two doesn't surprise me. Yeah. And oh, I, by the way, oh, go ahead. sorry, one last thing, Parker, I was going to say the whole point of going through all those suspensions. I think Edler has really substantially changed his game after 2013. Cause I remember, you know, you were a lot younger back then, but I, I remember that he was, when he came in and 11 and 12, 13 playoff runs, he was fast and he was crunching guys. And I think he actually got a little tentative and a little scared to do that. Mm -hmm. And now we see him and he's getting older too. Now it's more hooking, slashing, tripping penalties yeah. as opposed to laying guys out. So just uh, something I noticed and might have, to do with those three suspensions in seven months. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did. I did do a little bit of looking up stuff today. I did look up that uh, being to be classified as a repeat offender for mm. suspension purposes, it's within the last eighteen months. So it's a very, ah. it's a very narrow window uh, to be a repeat offender. So once you're good for eighteen months, it might lengthen if you have a bunch. Um, like I'm, I'm sure a guy like Tom Wilson, even yeah. if he goes eighteen months of the suspension. They might not say, oh, he's a repeat offender, but they're going right. to take that into account. Um, yeah, I think, I don't think it was a malicious play. And this is one of those things, and, and Kevin BX, I think, made a decent point on the broadcast saying, look, you, no one goes out really trying to knee people because at the end of the day, it's two knees hitting each other. It doesn't matter whose knee is being stuck out, who's making contact. It's It could be bad on both ends. Um, I think what it was, 
is it was a guy who was exhausted after a long shift and after 25 days of not playing, uh, and he got lazy. He went for the hit, realized he was going to miss it, and just settled for the fact that, you know what, my leg's already there, I'm going to leave it there. Uh, and the, the big thing is that I always sort of say is slow motion replay makes everything too easy on people on Twitter and in yeah. YouTube comments to make their case on how something is super malicious because they see the replay and it's a two second move of Edler's leg going into Hyman. But in, rea in reality, it's a, it's a split second decision that Edler yeah. made to not bring his leg back into his body. I don't think it's malicious. It's really just a lack of discipline. Uh, and it's one of those things where uh, I had a comment on my video today that someone mentioned, um, well, if it's not intentional how is it a major and it's it's not in and how is it a suspension also but it's not the intent to hit someone with your knee it's the intent to not avoid it if that makes right. sense right like it's one of those things that it's dangerous enough where um you need to make the effort to avoid and same with some hits from behind where if a guy turns at the last second and his numbers start facing you and you hit him it's still mm -hmm. a hit from behind because you have to be prepared and be ready to avoid that contact it's sort of the same idea no, I agree with everything you said. And then if you look at it on the flip side, though, imagine if it was a Toronto Maple Leafs defenseman like Muzzin or Riley taking out, well, it would be a top, like like a, a middle six guy who's important right. to us, right? Like a Hoaglander or a Pearson. Yeah. Uh, we'd be screaming bloody murder and Absolutely. maybe that two games wasn't enough. Yeah, probably. Um, yeah, it's one of those times where I like to think of myself as pretty objective, uh, yeah. but it's, and in a, in a situation where it's, our player because at the end of the day i don't care that much that edler got suspended for two games right like it, it matters but i don't think it's a huge deal so i can look at it you know objectively but if it's you know someone if it's a zach hyman on my team who is now potentially out for the season although it looks like it's just a sprained mcl and it could just be a couple weeks which is great okay. to hear um but if it was you know like an acl injury then yeah i'm on the other side thinking well you know that's ridiculous like you can't do stuff like that and it should be more than two games um yeah, and I also had a, a take in my YouTube comments. Again, just kind of venting here because I, I didn't want to type up responses to them. Uh, <laughs> uh, I had someone say that, like, um, Edler should be suspended for at least as long as it takes for Hyman to come back. And this is one of the worst arguments in sports. Yeah. That the player that committed the crime should be out for at least as long as the player that was hurt by it. Because there's so many times where... It goes both ways. A player makes an extremely malicious play, and the other guy doesn't get hurt from it. So what, you just don't, yeah. you only give the guy one game or whatever now? And there's also the times where some freak injury happens, right? Let's say someone gets a tripping penalty, and because of that, the guy slides into the boards and breaks his collarbone, right? Well, you can't suspend the guy for six months because he committed something that might be a one-game suspension, right? Because yeah. it was like a super minor infraction, just the result was terrible. Uh, it's, you know, they, they the Department of Player Safety takes injury into account when they determine the length of a suspension, not whether a suspension is coming or not. Right. The injury is just used to determine length. Uh, but again, it's it's one of those things where it'll add a game or two, but it's not going to. They're not going to suspend a guy for six months because, you know, he committed a, something that was worth a two-game suspension. Yeah, and you another, that's a great point. And you can't simply equate the injury to the suspension for another reason. And it's, it's kind of far-fetched, but it could happen. Imagine one of our better players like a Brock Besser, JT Miller injures one of their lesser players. 
you could technically hold that. Uh, you got to pass it through the doctors, but who knows? But you could technically hold. Imagine you're battling for a playoff position. You could hold that guy out, claiming that he's injured, keeping him on the IR just mm-hmm. to punish the the offending team, the offending player from returning to his lineup. That's exactly you're right, Parker. That's exactly why you don't simply equate games missed, uh, injured to game suspended for the the guy who committed the crime, so to speak. Yeah, and maybe the guy who had an, like, again, not this example, maybe the guy was injured beforehand, right? Like, maybe he already had a nagging hip injury and the play you made on him aggravated it. Or maybe you hit someone, or maybe you committed a foul on a guy like Kucherov and now he's out for an entire season, right? Like, it's, it's, uh, it's just, it doesn't really work, is all I'm trying to say. No, for sure. And it's, you know, um, so I, I think I think we've covered the Edler injury quite well. I yeah. just want to loop back very quickly to this whole playoff race because um, Montreal's hurt and Carey Price got hurt today. Did he? Um, so that's that's a big blow. Calgary, we know that they're they're completely imploding. They they had a little bump, um, but mm-hmm. not much. And I honestly like I, I think Toronto of the three teams between Montreal, Calgary, and Vancouver, you could argue that Toronto, if they do win the division, they could probably have their hands full the most with our Canucks. Potentially, uh, I think I still think their biggest issue is going to be Winnipeg. Um, yeah. I I don't see them having. I mean, again, the what the Canucks have going for them is the ability to have a goalie go hot, right? Yeah. Like like uh, Markstrom and Demko both did last year in the playoffs. Right. Um, and I think the Canucks are really going to need a goalie to go hot to even have a chance to make it. And they're going to need them to stay hot if they want a chance to. I mean, they'd have Toronto first round. Um, right. They would need, <laughs> they would really need um, Demko to really go on a run here um, to really give Toronto a run just because their star power is like, yep. even watching a guy like Matthews out there is, it's scary to watch. He has the puck and you're like, there was the one play where he sort of got a pass in front of the net. Like it was kind of like a shot and he's literally like skating across the net. Yeah. And he like, just like goes through his legs and he also kind of kicks it up to a stick at the same time and like gets a shot off and it's like like a player like that that can just choose to win a game for a team and i have the same thought about mcdavid too right matthews Mm -hmm. has 33 goals in like 40 something games this year and and mcdavid has like 74 points so like either those guys i feel like can just choose at on a whim be like i'm gonna score four today (laughs) it's just like what's who's gonna stop them and I remember Matthews walking Jalen Chatfield too, like yeah. uh, in, in a game back in February. But yeah, just to be clear, I was talking about um, of the three, you know, lesser rands mm. that I think right. between Vancouver, Calgary, Montreal. I think that's like, fair. Uh, that would pose the most problem for Toronto. But I agree with you that uh, there's even no guarantee that Toronto finishes on top of the division because Winnipeg, they can get just as hot. They're almost just as talented up front, maybe not as strong in D, but much better goaltending. Yeah. As much as I like Jack Campbell. Because of my cousin Dusty, but we we talked about that before. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a consistency thing, right? Like like Connor Hellebuck is a very proven goalie, and we know he's elite, and he's been elite for a long time. Yeah, Winnipeg's four points back. Yeah. Um, if Winnipeg were to win two games and tie Toronto in points, they would have more wins, right? They'd have the tiebreaker, mm. um, most likely. They're only one regulation, or they're tied in in uh, in. Oh, it's regulation wins, then regulation overtime now, right? They changed it. So yeah, they're yeah. one win back of Toronto and four points back. So in theory, if they tie, Winnipeg probably has the tiebreaker. Uh, so yeah. that'll be definitely be something interesting to watch. Yep. I don't like tiebreakers. I just hope that one team actually has one more point than the other team. Then I don't have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's move on um, and get into what happened before 
I guess, yeah. the, this Canucks game. The whole JT Miller thing, both of us did uh, a little, or you did a video on it, I did a video on it sort of the next day, uh, talking about it, and there was a lot of really good quotes from that interview. Basically, on Wednesday, uh, JT Miller had a media availability, said, we're not ready to play. Um, quotes like, I don't feel ready at all. Uh, it's frustrating. We, tie, we try to talk about how our number one priority is our players' health, and it's impossible to achieve that with what we're being asked to do. Uh, it's dangerous to a lot of our players. Um, and so we've sort of all, we've sort of done the, the whole process of covering that and, and, you know, it's sort of kind of old news now. Uh, but one thing that that's interesting to me is sort of how, what is this going to result in, in the future, right? Do like, cause we, nothing came from management, right? We didn't yeah. see really anything from Jim Benning or Francesco saying, that you know the nhl is doing anything um negative to our players here it's not fair to our players they were silent and they they sort of stuck with what the nhl said and it took jt miller to come out um and bo horvat couldn't because he was still in covid protocol um but jt miller had to come out and basically say look this isn't right and it, we can't do it um could this leave a negative taste in some players' mouths about, you know, the Canucks as an organization? Because uh, I'm just sort of thinking on my side, if I'm on a team and I think that um, we're getting put into a, a bad scenario and management isn't coming to bat for me, um, maybe I start to look at things a little bit differently. Yeah. Yes, it, this, is, this is important. And at the time that JT Miller spoke last Wednesday, uh, I, I kind of said that he was the right person to go out there because when he's talking very honestly, there's no one better. And I, mm -hmm. I theorize that the Canucks actually put him out there because it would help their case of postponing games, their return. But what came out today was very interesting with um, Elliot Friedman talking to, um, I, I can't remember what, she, well, it was on his podcast. He said that management and ownership of the Canucks, i.e. Benning, they knew on Wednesday that they were going to have their players tested on Thursday. And there was already like an understanding that if the testing was going to come back as poorly as they expected, there was no way they're going to play on Friday. But the missing piece, Parker, is they never told the players that. Yeah. So then JT Miller is going up blind. He doesn't know what's going on. And then for them to find out later that Benning, if this is true, that Benning and management and ownership knew that there's a good chance the team wasn't going to have to play on the Friday that is a severe communication issue. I'm not mm -hmm. a big conspiracy theorist. I, you know, I don't like conflict. I'm very conflict averse, yeah. but uh, this is going to be an issue that they have to address, whether it's a sit down meeting, hopefully not at a restaurant, you know what I mean? But if it's after the, after the, the season ends, because you don't want free agents potentially, whether it's this summer, next summer saying, man, I don't trust that management group. They're not even open to their players in the most, you know, crazy part of their, their life. Right. Why would I want to go there? I think this is an issue. Do yeah. You? Yeah. And I, I, it's even less on free agency, but it's the, it's the players they have now. Right. Yeah. Great point. We're, we're coming into a contract season where Pedersen and Hughes are up. Uh, Besser's coming up next year. Um, I mean, Demko just got signed, which is good, but I mean, we're looking at it. And if you're, Let's say if a player like a, a Pedersen or Hughes, and I'm not obviously I'm not saying this is the case, but let's say one of them, you know, is put off by this and they they want out. Well, you know, they have a couple ways of doing that. They can say, look, give us a four year deal, give us a four year contract. We'll take nothing more, nothing less. We want four years. Walk us to UFA and then we're out. Uh, yeah. And they have they can do that, right? Um, I don't think that'll be the case. 
I just worry the longer that, you know, this sort of stews and if things like this were to continue where, um, you know, I, I mean, Rick Dollywall was the one that that sort of clarified that on his show today, saying basically there was no clarity. There was no communication. Well, if you're the you're the workers, you're the athletes here that are being trotted out there to play the games. You want to know what's going on, right? You want your boss who's, you know, paying the bills and is in charge of the team, you want him to come to you and say, hey, this is what's going on, this is the scenario. But the fact that they basically did everything sort of without, you know, bringing the players into it, just sort of behind the players back, like, oh, we'll handle it. You guys just go out there and play when we tell you to. Um, You know, they're all adults, right? Like, (laughs) they should all have sort of, you know, a seat at the table, so to speak, in my opinion. And it's not a good look when, it's not like Jim Benning was completely quiet over those two weeks. Mm -hmm. He spoke on Monday or Tuesday after the trade deadline. He spoke later in that week with Dr. Bovard, right? Yep. Uh, when they did that co- press conference. And he spoke one more time. I think he was paired with the Horvat, right? On, on the Thursday. Regardless. Yeah, afterwards. Spoke, yeah. Yeah. He spoke three times over those two weeks, over that two week span. So it's not like he was quiet, hiding, holding back comment. So yeah, it, it I, I'm not going to try and sit here and, and say that there's a rift. I, I'm not going right. to sit here and say that we're going to lose all these players, but it could have gone a lot better. I think that's undeniable. Yeah, we're not saying that, like, we know that there's something going on, but we're also right. saying if I was in that scenario, I might, you know, I might be bothered by it. So I, I think that's sort of uh, what I wanted to what I wanted to hit on there. Absolutely. All right. Do you want to move on? Sure. All right. The Utica Devils. Hmm. Um, I put a video on this a couple days ago, I think on Sunday morning um, or maybe Saturday, one of those two days. Uh, basically, it came out that on April 5th, um, uh, Robert Esch, who is the president of the Utica AHL team, uh, had put out a trademark or uh, submitted a trademark um, for the Utica Devils. It then came out on the weekend that the Binghamton Devils, the New Jersey Devils farm team, um, would not be staying in Binghamton because of sort of a rift between the New Jersey ownership group and the Binghamton group. So they are moving to Utica, which means the comments are sort of out in the cold here. We don't know anything. But what we do know is that Francesco has wanted this team back here. That's sort of come out uh, a couple of times in the past. Um, And it really sort of comes down to a couple of things. In the past, this wasn't really viable. Um, Mm. Basically, the entire AHL is on the East, or it used to be on the East, right? So you could have a team in Abbotsford, like Calgary did when the Abbotsford Heat were here. Um, But they are then traveling so much, right? You're taking yeah. you're taking a bus or a plane to, you know, Syracuse, New York, <laughs> like going all the way across the country to play these games. Uh, and since then, we've seen a lot of teams move their AHL teams over to California, um, Arizona, Nevada, that sort of area. Uh, one mm-hmm. team in Nevada. Um, and that sort of has, it's sort of known as the Sons of Anarchy division. I think that's what Halford and Bruff call it. Um, <laughs> because it's sort of all these towns that if you've watched Sons of Anarchy, you know them all. Um, towns like Bakersfield and, and Henderson, Nevada, and uh, all these places. So, uh, and Seattle is also putting their team in Palm Springs. So this mm. would do a couple of things. Um, the, the complaint, the thing that you've always had to balance is you can have your team close if you're in Vancouver, which is great for quick call-ups, right? You have a guy that gets hurt in practice, bring someone up, drive him out, takes a couple hours or quick plane, whatever. Um, but now then the team has to do a lot of traveling. So they lose a lot of practice time, lots of development time. And that's why the Canucks have kept their team in Utica because they said, you know what? The more practice time, the less travel time is more valuable to us as an organization than the quick call-ups. But now you can almost have the best of both worlds if that team is in 
uh, like a Sacramento or something, uh, like something in California where it's a two hour flight up um, from basically any of those places in that AHL Pacific division. Um, and the travel's a lot less. The other option, Abbotsford, Pacific Coliseum, Burnaby, something like that, uh, also could be on the table. Olympic Oval? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, there's so much to, <laughs> there's so much to unpack here, but you're right. I remember, did you go to any Abbotsford Heat games? I went, I went to, to I went to one as well, I think. Um, yeah. I, I was in a suite for it. It was a Sunday game at one o'clock on like an NFL conference championship Sunday. <laughs> There was probably 600 people there. <laughs> like yeah, it was completely yeah. dead. And it's because it was Calgary's farm team. No one cared. Yeah. And that, and that's the really interesting piece here is the AHL. They tried to make it go in Abbotsford. Obviously it didn't go, but you're right. No one would want to go drive like a Richmond boy like me, drive an hour and a half out or an hour and 15 out to Abbotsford to cheer for some guys that uh, actually play for our biggest rival. That, yeah. that didn't make a lot of sense. And you you make a great point about the call-ups and the ease. And this year is strange anyways, because the AHL is so weird and we're splitting a team with the St. Louis Blues, which is weird. And half the roster or a third of the roster is up here on Taxi Squad, which is weird. Yeah. So it's just a weird year. So why not use this year for transition? So I don't worry so much about the the, the losing of the practice time or the transition time. I think if there's any year that this would make sense to at least um, consider a move, it, it is this year. And and you're right. You did a good video on it. The whole fact of that rift that's happening with the Devils organization, it'll be very fascinating to see it. When you lay it out like that, California makes a lot of sense because yeah. every other, like Calgary's team's there, Edmonton's team's there. And that would make a lot of sense. Then you're in the same time zone. And yeah, yeah a quick two and a half hour flight and you're in Vancouver. So maybe that is the way to go. But uh, I haven't heard much since... We just heard that first, uh, you know, news about the the devils and the the, the rift there. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be very interesting to follow up. Uh, one of many storylines to follow over the next few months. Yeah, I think this one. There's a couple things to balance, right? There is sort of the travel time, but the big mm-hmm. thing, the difference between having a team in, let's say, Abbotsford compared to Sacramento, right? Uh, yeah. Big one could be ticket sales. If the yeah. if let's say if because I I know that Francesco if Francesco said he wanted to maybe own the AHL team outright right basically had full control over both AHL and NHL teams and he, if he had the team in Abbotsford well think of all the people in Abbotsford Maple Ridge yeah. Chilliwack Mission like that whole sort of uh, this whole sort of eastern side of the Fraser Valley there um, think of all those people who to go to a Canucks game it's you know, it's a whole day, right? It's an hour and a half to get, it's an hour to an hour and a half to get to Vancouver. If it's a seven o'clock game, you're not home until 11 o'clock with traffic, 1130, you have work the next day. Uh, it's yeah. expensive, right? Uh, income's not as high in, in Abbotsford and stuff like that. Cause they, you know, less tech jobs, things like that. Um, but mm-hmm. if they could have an option where, uh, there's a team playing down the road at the Abbotsford center, uh, yeah. maybe it costs, 25 30 bucks to get in the door you're seeing your own team's prospects you're seeing canucks players like that guy could be on the team next year or he could be on the team in two weeks from now um (laughs) you know it's it really opens up some potential of i could see you know selling you know a few thousand tickets quite easily uh, over there especially if they're priced right uh get people in the door it builds up more excitement on this team um maybe it makes some more fan favorites right there'll be more reporting on the ahl side because uh someone like sportsnet or the athletic or someone they're going to send someone over to the to the comets or the 
the Abbotsford farmers or whatever they get called because we had a we had a lot of good suggestions on my stream last night. Um, but you know, I think I think California makes more sense logistically, but Abbotsford yeah. would make more sense from just making a more hockey focused community and vibe and sort of selling the team more, if that makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Okay. So there's almost 70 people in the chat, you know, do something for us. Simply type in a Y or an N, a yes or no. If the Canucks farm team did indeed move to Abbotsford and played in, in the Abbotsford uh, center there, would you, depending on your situation, where you live, your disposable income, your interest in the prospects, whatever criteria you want to use, would you actually not, I shouldn't say actually, would you go to those games? Yes or no? Uh, let us know. I, I'd be curious to see what kind of, what kind uh, yeah, Justin, yeah, Surrey is great, but we're not talking about Surrey. We're talking mm. about Abbotsford as our, I would say Richmond, but no, Abbotsford. Would you go watch our farm team play there? Yeah. So we, Parker, I see some early yeses. Not, not a surprise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We had, um, we had some people in my comments yesterday saying, well, maybe like something like the Coliseum would make more sense, but mm. I'm almost going from the fact of rent would be way higher at the Coliseum, probably yeah. tickets would be more expensive. Um, and sort of the whole thing of if I'm living in Vancouver, am I going to bother going to a Abbotsford air, not Abbotsford, but a Vancouver AHL game instead of an NHL game when I can probably get a secondhand ticket to a Canucks game for like 45 bucks? online right. um maybe a couple nights later or on a weekday um and also i uh, justin brought up surrey um surrey has pretty easy access to vancouver in comparison right like i, I live close to the SkyTrain. Yeah. i can i can get to the state i can get to rogers arena in like 35 minutes um and it's a quick drive uh sort of the abbotsford thing just sort of gives that disconnect and the hl has always been more of like a blue collar league right it sort of fits yeah. it fits the vibe of that area a little bit more where um, you know, that's just sort of, uh, sort of their style. Yeah. Sweet. Uh, Thomas, Sweden is a little bit far. So little bit. I think my question was kind of more tailored to the local people, but you make a great point, Parker. What you got to kind of, why not uh, spread the wealth, so to speak, instead of having two teams in Vancouver proper or Vancouver and Burnaby. Yeah. Why not go Vancouver and Abbotsford or Chilliwack or mission? Just uh, get it out there a little bit more. Mm. And that way it just, saves on the community, whatever team you want to support, you're still supporting the franchise. And I think that's yep. the big picture we need to look at. Agreed on all counts. All right. A lot of love for Surrey in there, bud. A lot of, a lot of love for Surrey. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Uh, it's the most populous area here. Um, <laughs> all right. We have uh, just one more quick thing we're going to hit on. But uh, after that, we're going to delve into some of your topics. Uh, you know, we 60 something people in here. So if there's anything that we haven't talked about yet that you guys are interested in us chatting about, leave some topics in the chat here. Um, I know your favorite player, Nikita Trampkin. Uh, apparently they could. Uh, I know uh, Donnie and Dolly are going to have um, uh, Todd Diamond, his agent yeah. on their show tomorrow. Uh, we did hear uh, Dolly Wall says that it looks like they could be exploring a contract as soon as this week, um, maybe to replace the the Jordy Bens, the Travis Hamonics, uh, and so on. Yes, you know, and <laughs> why does it always seem like I'm talking about Trampkin? And it, it's fine, you know, Parker. I don't hate the guy. I have nothing against him. Yeah, I just think he's overrated. I just, I really do. Now, uh, when you talk about overrated or underrated there has to be a line there. There's expectations and that's the whole reason why you can judge someone. So I get that. Maybe, maybe my expectations were too high. So when he didn't meet them, that's why I think he's overrated. Others might have no expectations for him. And then he does anything good. 
And they're going to say, wow, this guy's really good. He's way better than I thought. So I acknowledge that part. I'm not sure though. There was a bit of drama when he left the first time. There was a bit of drama last year when he wouldn't accept the, the two-way deal. So I get all of that. But you're right. If Ben's gone, if Hamannick's gone, if Edler retires or we don't resign him, uh, or he keeps kneeing people, no, I'm just kidding. You're right. There's going to be like three or four spots and maybe you slot in your levy to one of them. May, hopefully a Rathbone or someone steps up next year, but there's still going to be spots open for a sixth, seventh, eighth defenseman. So what do you sign him at? Is it a one and a half? Is it a one, one and three quarters? I think you got to go yeah. keep it under two for sure, don't you? I think so. And that's kind of the fear uh, that yeah. I have is, is uh, <laughs> Jim Benning has this, you know, we, we keep saying this, but he gets his eyes on somebody and he never lets go. <laughs> He's had it like after, even after Tramkin left, he's been talking about Tramkin so much, like all the yeah. time. It's like, well, we're looking to bring Tramkin back. It's yeah. like, man, you're you are upping his contract value <laughs> by doing this, right? Because now, now his agent Todd Diamond can go to the Canucks and be like, well, you guys clearly want him back so much, right? Like, clearly you're yeah. willing to you're willing to pay him two and a half. It's <sighs> like, man, that would be <laughs> for a guy who's completely unproven. That would be. Um, that would be a little much. We do have Justin saying, uh, I'd rather keep Hamannick. Uh, I think that would probably be smarter. Um, I don't know what Hamannick would want to get paid. Maybe something around two as well. Um, yes. But yeah. And Parker, you did, you, did, you did see that we are being graced by royalty. Uh, I knew I world. knew this was happening. Yeah. Go ahead. No, this is your time. No, no. I was just, no, just going to say, hot take is here. Mm-hmm. Um, John who um, everyone knows is a, a he's he's broaching 30,000 subscribers. I don't think I have 30,000 views combined in all my videos, but he, uh, uh, good to see you, John. I know we're going to chat tomorrow. And uh, uh, yeah, John had some uh, choice words for Alex Ether last night, which is understandable, but we won't get into it. We already spent 10 minutes on that earlier, but John, good to see you in here. Thanks for your support. I will say before the show, Clay said he was going to rip into you, John, but you know what? I guess we get to this, we get to it and he doesn't want to. That's okay. Uh, That's fine. No no proof of that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, Any other topics coming into the chat here? I don't think I saw any. Um, thoughts on maybe this is a good one from Johnny Canuck, uh, but I'll sort of paraphrase it here. Sure. Um, just thoughts on ownership meddling overall. Um, I don't think this is something that we've chatted about um, in our yeah. in our couple of talks together. Um, what's your sort of opinion on the uh, on sort of ownership in general and how they um, maybe have their hands in the cookie jar a little bit? You know, where there's smoke, I think, Parker, there's fire. And in this situation, I think there is a bit of smoke from a standpoint of it comes up, right? Every six months, every nine months that Francesco is saying something or doing something or tweeting. He tweets that vote of confidence in February, the Canucks go on a mini run or whatever. It's just always something funnier. Playoff atmosphere or or whatever it may be. So tight, almost like a playoff game. (laughs) (laughs) In February. Yeah. But if, if, you know... It, I'm glad that he's uh, present. I, I, I was almost going to say I'm glad that he's active, but I, guess, I think that's what we're talking about here. I'm glad that he's present. He's not like the guy who owned the Grizzlies, right? Like, uh, right. So he, at least he's present. We know that he wants nothing more than this team to win. I get all of that for sure. So I, I don't fault his passion or his commitment to the team. And it sounds like in general that he's been pretty good about, uh, you know, I say this, even though Travis Green don't have a contract, Ian Clark don't have a contract, uh, Pedersen Hughes don't have a contract, but it sounds like he's been pretty okay with at least releasing the purse string, so to speak. Although 
I do know on what, uh, good authority, the, the whole Stetcher thing came down to uh, a bit of timing and equity flip-flopping on the money, but that's you know a smaller piece. We don't have to get mm-hmm. into that today. So does he meddle? I think he does. Uh, I think you can mitigate his meddling for sure. If you're Jim Benning and you're a little stronger and just say, hey, look, I got this. You hired me to do the job. Yeah. Maybe there'd be less meddling if we replaced Lyndon and hired a president. I'm, but the Canucks are trying to save money that way. So I kind of contradicted myself. As I say, he's not meddling and he's willing to spend money, but I guess we, there are a lot of positions that we haven't replaced either. So tough to say, you can't fault his passion and his commitment, but maybe he's got to pick his spots a bit better. Maybe that's the way I'll put it. Yeah. A couple of things on that though. One of the things that I see a lot is um, like something will come out saying that like ownership had to approve mm. X trade or X contract. And that happens in every team in every sport the owner the yeah. owner always has a say because it's his money uh and if you're the owner of the team yeah you want to be able to at least be able to like just be able to sign your name to something right gm yeah. comes in and says look we're gonna make this trade for this guy sure you know just you know yeah. at least keep somewhat uh checks and balances happens with basically every team uh out there um the other thing is i think that i don't know i i feel like the whole not having a president because the money's tight or not re-signing uh, Travis Green, as Rick Dollywell said, it's potentially because they're, you know, off by half a million, a million dollars in their salary talks hmm. uh, or not re-signing Ian Clark because, you know, maybe because of, of money issues. This is, this is one of the things that just doesn't make sense to me about, about Aquilini. It's your, your payroll's already upwards of $100 million a year, probably, Right. Like these, these contracts, this half a million dollars to drop in the bucket, right? Right. It's, it's a, it's a rounding error at the end of the day for these guys. Um, you know, not signing off on a contract because you're thinking a guy's, you know, it's half a million off what you think. Um, it's so, it's just so bizarre to me how it feels like, like we're lucky in the fact that Aquilini does seem like he wants to, like he's willing to spend money on the team being good. And, you know, the Canucks have been a cap team forever. Um, so that's a plus, but also you go on the other side of, but there's all these sort of weird little cost cutting measures that just don't seem to really add up. Uh, and that's, that's sort of where my confusion lies with ownership. No, that's very fair. And it's, we're allowed to question because we are fans and we care so much. We invest time, money, energy into this team. And that's why people get upset. You know, one funny part of the funniest comment I got was, Hey, can the owners fire uh, get together and fire the owner? I said no, because when you own, you're you're like the one who gets to fire other people. You don't, yeah. Fire, unless you want to fire yourself, I guess. <laughs> well, yeah. Every, I mean, all of the other owners could come together at like a board of governors meeting and yeah. and like do a forced sale, but they don't want to do that because that opens the door on them, right? You yeah. think you think Eugene Melnick's going to sign off on that? <laughs> like, there's <laughs> no way. That's such a slippery slope. Like, you only see that in like the the Donald Sterling cases um, yes. in the NBA, right? Where it's, it's got to be really bad. A real egregious, immoral, unethical issue, not a, ah, this guy doesn't pay the guys we want him to, right? That's, that's not how, that's just not how it works because these other owners want to win Stanley Cups as well. The more people in the league making bad decisions, it's good for them. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So let's see what happens with that. Uh, We'll see what else we got in the chat. I've seen a couple good ones, actually. Sure. You got one you want to find here? Yeah, I, Noah's question. I like this. Will Oli Levy? Oh, oh, I just scrolled oh, up. Oh, I regular. got it. Oh, you got it. Yeah. Will Oli Levy be a regular next season? And who do you think? And do you think he will be a guy 
who stays here for a long time like Edler? Why don't you start off? Um, I think he'll be a regular next season. I don't know where, though. Um, yeah. Like, will he be a regular like Travis Hamanick or Jordy Ben were regulars where they're playing most of the games, but on the third pairing? Mm-hmm. Um I just think we haven't seen enough. Uh, He's, you know, he's getting to the point where, you know, he doesn't have a lot of development left in him. Um, He's probably pretty close to what he is. And I think he's a fine defenseman. I think he makes pretty smart plays. He seems to be doing well positionally. The only real downside is his foot speed. And that's, you know, not his fault. He's had bad injuries for like three years running here. Um, And we've seen it time and time again where... Yule Levy will have a really solid game, and then at one point he'll get burned bad. Um, and if he can find a way, whether that's getting some foot speed back, p- being better positionally to prevent these things from happening, maybe playing a little bit safer uh, and getting those out of the game, then I can see him being a guy that a coach is, you know, he seems he seems like a, a safe guy, right? Like he'll he's going to go out there. Kind of reminds me of Edler in a way of just being, um, you know, quiet, stable, Goes out there, does his thing, gets off the ice, um, doesn't do anything too flashy, uh, just seems to be sort of a smart player in my mind. I would love to see a left side, although it would be the most inexperienced left side ever, of Hughes, Rathbone, and Yolevi. I think they'll yeah. be Hughes and Rathbone, similar style, good puck-moving defensemen, good skaters. Yolevi would be the more stay-at-home guy, Edler Light, so to speak. Then the right side, you have Schmidt, you have Myers, who have some experience, and then whatever, a Trampkin or a Hamannick. But... Uh, I do see Levy as a regular NHL or two. I don't worry the fact that people drafted guys drafted later than no. him have, have busted out quicker than him or whatever. Defense takes a long time to develop, and yeah. you've seen that, right? So I'm I'm not worried, and I do think he was playing very well before before basically the Canucks uh, Ben got healthy. Chat and Chatfield kind of unseated him a little bit, but um, I, I do like Levy's game, and I, I want him to succeed. I really do. Yeah, I I mean it's best for the team if he succeeds, yeah. right? Um, he's, I mean, the Canucks are a little slim pickings on defense. I I mean, a guy, you know, sort of going off that Jack Rathbone, I really want to see him get some games here because everything we've heard basically from the year he was drafted from the day he was drafted, we heard, well, the Canucks picked a guy who can skate and who knows (laughs) what he's going to be because he's going back to high school next year or whatever it was. Uh, and then everything, he's just sort of been this mysterious figure in the background where every time he goes up to another level, it's like, this kid's pretty good. And then he goes yep. to the AHL and he just started playing a couple of games there. And we see, we see tweets. I think, um, I think Chris Faber had a tweet and it was Jack Rathbone walks the line better than anyone I've ever seen at the AHL level, right? Wow. Things like that. And it's like, just so much weird hype around this kid that we haven't seen. Um, and again, he's young. He's got to be what, like 21 yeah. Uh, yeah. So he's 21, uh, turns 22 in about a month. Uh, but yeah, 95th overall pick in 2017, early in the fourth round. That's a, a defenseman in the fourth round should not be playing. Like none of them, none of them make it to the NHL level until they're like 23. And those are flukes, right? They're shots in the dark that happen to work out. But if the Canucks have someone to Jack Rathbone, especially if he's as exciting as he sounds, where he's just an elite skater, um, elite skating can cover up a lot of issues, and uh, I, I'm excited to see uh, where that where he sort of ends up in the lineup. But if he can come in uh, and play a few games at the end of this season, get into camp next season, and maybe compete for a full-time spot. Yeah. Okay, Parker, I actually have a really good one to finish off our show with that we can spend the last five minutes on Perfect. because I saw it come through, and I think it's a very important topic about 
the media and the media access. Can I, can we run with this one? Absolutely. Awesome. Okay, so C edits asks, what do you think of the report, the, the fact that Quinn Hughes refuted the report by Matt Sakaris that he was on an IV when he got sick? Mm-hmm. So let me break this down for about a minute and then we'll chat about it for the last few minutes. Absolutely. There's a, there's a whole push and pull with the media here in Vancouver right now. We know that the Vancouver Canucks um, basically denied media access for two or three straight days as they got back to practicing. Jim Benning said it was for the players' privacy. He didn't want reporters kind of talking about who doesn't look good, who who doesn't look uh, fully recovered, all those things, and, and and out of respect for the privacy, to which media members are like, don't insult us. We we know how to do our job. We're not going to give any info that we're not supposed to. You got to – and they were claiming they had the right to go into, play, uh, into practices because of the CBA, the collective yes. bargaining agreement. People were debating whether or not it's actually explicitly stated or whether it's you know implied, whatever it is. So much so that the Professional Writers Hockey Association, of which Patrick Johnson – is the local chapter head. He wrote a letter saying, yep. we feel like we've been uh, mistreated and this has been unfair, blah, blah, blah. Where it adds up is then Quinn Hughes comes up last night, says, I don't know where that report of me being on an IV came from. Uh, you know, don't believe everything you see on Twitter. Whereas we remember that the, the Dr. Bovard actually said that players were being a Mr. IV. So maybe it was Hughes, maybe it wasn't. Mm-hmm. He was denying. But lastly, Kevin Bieksa piles on today and basically says, yeah, the media in the in Vancouver is entitled. I dealt with them for a decade, and they don't always, you know, don't believe everything that you read. So, all this wrapped up. You know, I have a healthy respect, Parker, as you do, for a lot of the media members here. Yeah. I've been blessed to speak to a lot of them on my channel, and uh, but a lot of people are calling them entitled whiners. Um, you get the best job, get to watch hockey for free, which isn't, you know, they actually work. Yeah. What's your take on the whole thing? Uh- like everything, I, I kind of fall in the middle, but I almost lean a little bit, uh, I lean a little bit on the media side here. Um, mm-hmm. So I did listen to, I listened to the Kevin BX interview right before we got on here, uh, just so I was informed. Um, so the whole mandated by the CBA thing, I think is true. I think I did see that, um, you know, the, the Canucks, what they did technically wasn't allowed. Uh, they could not technically say, hey, no media are allowed. Um, I see why they did what they did, um, you know, not wanting to, you know, have their players basically exposed as being uh, out of shape under the weather. But also the fair point of, look, these these media members know what they're looking at. And every every single media member we saw on Twitter going into this whole scenario was everything's a moral victory at this point. There were not going to be, you know, picking on players for looking sluggish out there. Right. Um as for the IV thing, um, so yeah, Bovard did say that at least someone was on an IV. Uh, Sakaris said it was Quinn Hughes. Quinn Hughes says it wasn't him. Um, and it's one of those things where if you are a reporter, a reporter or someone who has a radio show and you have a source who you think you can trust, maybe it's someone from the team, right? That would be my guess because who else would have that information, right? But if, yeah. someone, if someone from the team, your anonymous source goes to you and says, hey, yeah, we do have, you know, Quinn Hughes getting IV treatments, all this other stuff. And he goes and reports it, um, even if it is false, is that on the media member who reported it? Yes, you should be reporting factual information, but it's not like he's look. he's not like up and he doesn't have like a, he's not on the window washing thing up by Quinn Hughes' apartment peering in to see if he's on an IV. Um, <laughs> so... I, I kind of fall in the middle where it's, it's a scaffold, by the way. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Uh, <laughs> where it's it's um you know I 
now the thing is we we've seen this in the past with with, with Sakaris where um you know we've seen sort of these these statements like the whole Besser trade rumors and all the stuff yes. that never that never end up getting substantiated and most of the time they don't get substantiated so you have to start looking at it and say well does he have bad sources or is he maybe um not fabricating but maybe just sweetening the story a little bit right adding a little adding a little extra to uh to the pot maybe he heard you know again i'm completely speculating here um like matt sakaris might be uh <laughs> i'm completely speculating but maybe he's maybe he heard the whole iv comments from from dr bovard and and then he gets from a source saying yeah quinn hughes has it pretty much the worst out of everyone maybe that's what it was so then he tried to put the dots together and was wrong or we don't know. Uh, we we don't know. Uh, we probably never will. Again, like is the case with most of these things, uh, because no one's reporting on the media, uh, right? Um, uh, so it's it's one of those things where I think uh, I think what the 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 I think what the media the media has a point in wanting you know their access. They have jobs to do, right? These are their livelihoods. Their job is to report on this team, and them reporting on this team builds interest. It builds revenue for the NHL. There's a reason that every and there's a reason it's in the CBA. It's because it makes the NHL money, right? Otherwise, it wouldn't be there that media gets access to practices, access to games, uh, access to interviews and all this stuff. It's because it generates interest. Uh, hundreds of people listen to Sportsnet after the game or on Twitter or whatever to the post-game comments by everyone to and, and reads all these articles and it builds up interest. So um, it's one of those things where it's I, I don't really have a side. And again, I see all these people on Twitter who are so hard on one side and they get on their own team and they aren't willing to look at the other side where I kind of fall in the middle. I'm like, look, everyone's making good points um, and everyone is looking out for themselves in this scenario. And it's kind of hard to fault anyone, in my opinion. Yeah, it's funny. I, it was earlier in the chat. Someone says, does Clay have to agree with anything? But if Parker is smart and I think I'm smart, then oftentimes we are going to say the, the same things. Now, we won't stage any disagreements but we will work hard at finding um, some divergent opinions yes. going forward for sure one thing i will tell uh, really quickly parker as we wrap up um i think i you know that kevin bx has blocked me like he's blocked many people on twitter with kevin bx though as i love watching him on tv i think he's very insightful he's yep. got a the gift of gab but he actually blocked me after me and my friends including marie did a song about him it was a it was a <laughs> it was a it was a song about him and cassian and um zach who zach yeah yeah and eddie lack it was it was eddie lack zach cassian and kevin bxa all going away in the same summer and we we did a song about him to boys to men it's so hard to say goodbye and uh right after that he blocked me so i don't know if he didn't like my singing because i actually sang in that one maybe that's why i shouldn't <laughs> or he didn't like the fact that he was getting mentioned a lot because that video did well or simply he doesn't appreciate good r&b music i don't know but maybe. to this day still blocked by kevin bxa that is, uh, you know, it's an honor. That's something you can, you should have a little, uh, you should, you should hang a banner like the Nashville Predators. Have a little banner behind you saying blocked by Kevin Bieksa this date uh, for singing yeah. too good and making just too good of music. That's yeah, just <laughs> not that unique. I know a lot of people are having blocked by him, but that's, that's for an, uh, yeah. another day, another story. All right. Well, we are past 11 o'clock, uh, as always, uh, always as in the two times that we've, <laughs> that we've done this. Uh, do you want to say thank you to everyone for coming out, hanging out once again? Uh, super fun to do this every Monday night at 10 PM. Um, 
hit a like on the video here. We're only at about 29 likes, so get that number up. Uh, as yeah. always, uh, if you joined late, uh, you can go back, rewind the stream, and watch the VOD here, um, and it will stay up on this YouTube channel. Um, and if you want to listen to the audio version later on, you can find all the links in the description in that little link tree there. There's links to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, um, all that stuff, plus Clay's Twitter, my Twitter, uh, both of our YouTube channels as well, so you can go check us out. Follow us on Twitter, subscribe to our YouTube channels, all that good stuff. Make sure you're subscribed to the Canucks After Dark channel so you don't miss the show next week. Uh, every Monday, 10 p.m., you'll see us tweeting about it like crazy every Monday because uh, we have a lot of fun doing this. It's uh, it's a great time to come together, talk Canucks, and uh, and have all of you guys uh, in the chat here. Uh, Clay, anything you wanted to wrap up with? Yeah, two things real quick. We, we talked about how we got over 100 subscribers even before we pressed goal last week. We're at 168 now. We gained a few during this, but we want to get to 200 before next week's show. So we have a week to do it. I think we can do it 30 or so in a, a week, but help us get to the 200 mark and maybe we can go up 100 every week. That would be amazing. And next week when we do Monday, it's actually Parker for the first time in three weeks. It'll be on a Canucks game night. Nice. They'll have just trounced the Ottawa Senators and I can't wait to be talking about that. Absolutely. That will be fun. And the Canucks will be right in the thick of the playoff race. Uh, <laughs> unless they're not. And then I never said that. Anyways, yeah. thank you all once again for watching. That's all from both of us. Um, again, leave your comments. We will go back and read them all afterwards. Uh, it's always some fun nighttime reading afterwards. So that's all. Uh, that's it. Thank you guys for watching. Uh, and we'll see you, I guess, tomorrow. We'll both have YouTube videos out. So we'll see you then. Sounds good to me. Good night. Good night.